If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Romans chapter 12, and we will start and end in verse 9 this morning. So you can turn with me, Romans chapter 12. As you can tell, we're going to be in a several-part series on Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, the marks of the believer. Now, um, as we begin this morning, I, I want to just go ahead and talk about the elephant in the room. Um, I do have a Band-Aid on my head, and I did have a successful deer hunt on Thursday, and I did walk away with four stitches. And so I'm sorry that it happened. I'm sorry you have to look at this on my head, um, but let's just clear the air. Um, it did happen, and I'm okay. And um, so I am carrying the marks of my deer hunt, and I'm just now seeing that this was meant to be, we want to be the marks of the Christian. I'm carrying the marks of my deer hunt. So it's all for the sermon illustration. I'm all in, y'all. I'm all in. Just trying to do my part. So um, anyway, uh, just sorry for the inconvenience of having to look at such a monstrosity on my head. Um, but this is life. So with that in mind, let's move on to some weightier subjects. To the marks of the true Christian what it means for us to live in this world and demonstrate to the world what has happened inside of us and how we've understood the gospel to play out of us. And you know, we, we at times as believers so often want to get on to weightier subjects. We, li- we like to move forward and there's so many things that we get to and we think, well, that's, that's so elementary or that's so simple, but those are sometimes the most difficult, heaviest things to wrestle with and play with on a regular basis in the actual real world. And at times we can get over into places like 1 Timothy where uh, Timothy remind, or Paul reminds Timothy not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of your charge, Timothy, is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And so for the next several weeks, I just want us to look at Romans 12, 9 through 21, that if we were as believers to simply take these short sets of passages and apply them to our lives in the reality of our lives, can you imagine uh, the difference that it would make in our world, in our culture, in our marriage, in our relationships, if we covenanted together to live these things out in reality and in truth and in power and in might? Beyond trying to speculate and trying to run down a genealogy list of trying to figure out such endless speculations, if we, if we just chase into the, the reality of such difficult but simple scripture. And that's where we find ourselves this morning. Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. That's mighty simple. It's not too difficult. In fact, we could probably shut the Bible and I could tell you, hey, everybody, love, let your love be genuine, hate evil, cling to good, and you would probably walk out of here feeling good. But there's a lot to unpack here that still continues to build upon just the simplicity of those simple statements. I mean, Paul even says right at the beginning, uh, we fleshed it out in the English, he simply says, sincere love. That's the whole statement, just sincere love, sincerity of love. 
And so this morning, we're going to unpack just one verse together, and we'll just work our way through this entire passage over the next several weeks. The, the true marks of the believer in the midst of a dark culture. So let's, let's pray together and ask the Lord's blessing on our time. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word that does not return void to us. We thank you that today, if we walked in with, with weariness and heaviness and burdens and cares that feel like they are overwhelmingly large, we're reminded of what we just sang about, that there is something about the name of Jesus that calms our fears, that gives us hope, that gives us light and peace when we just utter the name and the reminder of what you have done to secure that peace and that hope and that joy for us. So we're not asking this morning to be better people. Lord, we want to be closer into your image. We want to be refined and shaped closer daily into your image. So Lord, with your word this morning, be our central guide. Would it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path every day, in every circumstance, in every relationship? Would your word be our guiding and defining factor? Lord, we love you, and we thank you for your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So the first blank on your outline, you, you may be able to guess it, it's let love be genuine. It is straight from the text. Uh, didn't have too much creativity this week on your blanks, but don't go ahead and fill them out already. All right, let's, let's stay together. Let love be genuine. First thing that you see on your outline is let love be genuine. Both in 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and here in Romans, you see that Paul is writing to the church and giving them a beautiful list of the spiritual gifts. Uh, right before in Romans uh, chapter 12, you see he's talking about the gifts of grace and how they're distributed throughout the church and how everyone is given these a variety of gifts. Same thing in 1 Corinthians 12, you see these variety of gifts, wonderful gifts that the Lord has given to the church. But in each place, Paul is going to stop the discussion of the spiritual gifts and give this simple explanation of the defining factor that flows from those spiritual gifts or that flows first that allows the spiritual gifts so we've got the spiritual gifts and Paul speaking about the spiritual gifts in Romans 12 1 through 8 and then he stops the discussion almost to say well hold on a second let me remind you that the spiritual gifts are, are good but if you don't have this we're missing it I mean, essentially right now, if you could rinse and repeat my message from last week where we talked about kindness flowing from a purity of heart. That until our hearts are in a purity stance, until our hearts are pure, we're not just going to all of a sudden be loving towards people. So go ahead, listen last week, play that message out. Let's rinse and repeat that here. I'm not going to do it for you. But remind ourselves that first, love is going to be genuine when it flows from a purity of heart. So You could say, let love be sincere let love be authentic let love be real in first corinthians 13 as we talked about last week love is patient love is kind you go back just a few moments before and you tell paul tells us in first corinthians 13 what love and how love operates he says in first corinthians 13 1 if i speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. 
So in that, in that midst of talking about the greatness of the spiritual gift, if you're speaking in tongues, able to decipher and determine and speak in a way that people can interpret and understand this miraculous gift of the Lord, if you can do this, but you're not operating out of love, all you are is an annoying symbol, a gong. On Sunday nights when church is over and Micah gets running around this place after everybody's left and he starts hitting that symbol, you know it drives, you just, just like, it just drives you nuts. It's not in beat. It's not in rhythm. It doesn't play well with everything else. It's just annoying as annoying can be. And in that sense, if you're doing this incredible thing for the Lord, but you're missing love, you've missed the whole thing. Do you see how needed necessity that love is right smack up in the dip, right smack dab in the middle of what the Lord has called us to is love. We cannot operate these wonderful gifts of the Lord if we're not doing it out and in love. He continues, 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men, this wonderful thing, but if I have not love, I am a noisy gong that is worthless to the whole body. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. This is so sobering. Because we would put this pretty high up there. Man, if you can remove mountains, if you're able to understand and and interpret God's will and plan and have prophetic powers to see what is ahead, if you have all of these incredible gifts, but you're lacking love, I mean, listen, I'm not saying this, the Bible is. If you have all this stuff, but you have not love, you got nothing. And then he continues. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, gain nothing. You see the the sobering reality of all these good things that trying to do, but without love at the heartbeat of it, without love flowing from a purity of heart, then we have missed the whole boat. We've missed everything. I mean, last week when we talked about the random acts of kindness, as dumb as that analogy was, the random acts of kindness, we as a church going out and loving people and caring for people, being kind to one another, tenderhearted. If it flows from a, a sense of duty or that we have to or that we're begrudgingly going out to do these kind things for people without a heartbeat of love. I mean, as you're writing your, your check this afternoon, as you go to lunch and you're giving your tip to your waiter or waitress. If your heart is, and we preach that sermon on love, and all right, I'm, I'm giving you the 30% because not that you deserve it, I'm giving it to you. It, it, you feel that heartbeat of coldness that would say, oh, I'm just giving you this. The heartbeat of coldness that's not flowing from a purity of heart. So Paul's telling the church, let your love be genuine. After all, you see in John 13, you see that love is how all people are going to connect us to the gospel. You see Jesus tell us in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And by this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I'll go back to what I shared last week, that how we treat others seems to demonstrate and seems to show how much we have understood the gospel. 
We see it right here again with love. How we treat and care for and love other people seems to demonstrate to us how much and the measure by which we have truly understood the gospel. I mean, Jesus tells us by this, by loving others, by the way that we love and care for other people, that is the measure by which people are going to see and demonstrate what we have felt about the gospel. And so if all people see of believers is our hatred and our lack of kindness and love for other people, how will they know? How will they recognize that we have been marked by the gospel if not love flowing out of us and through us to others. So this morning, before we move on to abhorring what is evil and move on through the rest of the passage, everything, if you can just stick this into your mind as we go through the rest of this text, everything that we'll talk about will flow first from this. Every part of Romans chapter 12, 9 through 21, everything hinges on this. Let your love of the Lord be genuine. Let your heartbeat for the Lord be genuine. And if we don't build our house on this, then our walls are going to crack, our roof is going to fall apart, our windows are going to shatter, everything is going to be messed up. There's going to be leaks everywhere if we are not building on the solid bedrock foundation of the gospel. That love would flow from a purity of heart. And there are too many times that we move forward, as we talked about last week, to try to have these Christian attributes without having the gospel at the core of who we are. We want to be a little more kind at work. We want to be a little nicer to our family. We want to be a, a, just a little bit better of a husband or a wife. So we chase after these things instead of chasing after Jesus. So friends, let me just tell you, before we move on to this next portion, if your heart is not taken by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he has saved you from the pit of hell, that he has done a new work in your heart and in your life, if you are not constantly amazed and overwhelmed and taken aback by the simple truth that you were dead in your sins and trespasses, but Jesus made you alive. Before we move on to graduating high school, maybe we need to go back to first grade. And just soak and sit in that simple truth that Jesus loves you. That he cares for you. And friends, it changes your heart to go back. Don't you wish at times as you look in the eyes of a, of a little baby that you're holding that go back to that innocence and that sweetness, that love that will run up to you after school and just give you that big hug and say, Daddy, Daddy, and just squeeze you tight. Don't you want to go back to that almost innocent period? And so as you go back to the elementary truths of Jesus Thank you for saving me from the pit of hell. Thank you for saving me from my sins, even though there is nothing I did to deserve it. I think only then, when we fully recognize and realize, do we move on to this next portion after let love be genuine. But we'll come back there often and often and often. So first, let love be genuine. Number two, abhor what is evil. Abhor what is evil. Now, Paul is using an incredibly strong word when he says, abhor what is evil. A word that would signify when we're talking about evil that we're not saying, uh, Paul saying, hey guys, just, just try your hardest to get, just kind of stay on the outskirts, just try to stay away from it a little bit. No, he's saying hate with everything, it, hate evil. 
Just don't have any part in it. Don't be around it. Don't look. Just hate evil. Several years ago, I had a pretty horrible experience at a restaurant in town with a chicken quesadilla. You ever have one of those experiences where you just go to a restaurant and something doesn't do well for you? Man, there were several years in my life to, where to look at a chicken quesadilla almost just, just, mm-mm. People at the table, I'm just going to go ahead and let y'all know, please don't order a chicken quesadilla, right? I've gotten over it. I'm better now. Thank you very much. But there's a season in my life where just the looking at a chicken quesadilla would bring, because I recognized what it did to me, right? You remember that time. That was terrible. Several days of just horrible everything. And so to look at a chicken quesadilla would remind me and show me, this is terrible. I don't want it. Don't order it. No part of me. I don't want to step in a restaurant that serves them for the mere fact that there could be one at the table and somehow it might find its way into my mouth. Get, get it away. And there was an abhorrence of the chicken quesadilla. There's, a, there's something in us when we recognize evil, not to say, well, I mean, it's okay if you hang around or linger around or just come around or it's okay if you have a seat at my table. I'll just keep you at an arm's length. You'll be there. No, there is an all-out hatred of evil in our culture uh, for a believer. And I want to share this just because we're, we're living in a world where this is not simple yes and no. We're living in a world that would say whatever is true for you, whatever is right for you, Whatever feels good for you, do it. It's your truth. Live it. But can I tell you, over and over in Scripture, you see that God has given us what is good for our thriving and what is good for our good. He has called evil, evil, and he has called good, good. No matter how cultures want to define good and evil, God's word defines it for us. And he defines it in a way that is good for us. What he calls good is good for us. What he calls evil is bad for us. And we trust that he is creator God who has created the universe, who has created all things. So he knows far better than we do what is good and what is evil for us. And so when Paul says, abhor what is evil, we have a tendency in our culture to go right up to the line of evil and don't believe that there's anything wrong. We flirt with evil in so many different ways. And for so many years, in so many ways, we've, we've been kind of buddies, friends with evil and not called it what it is. And so for now, for us to say and look at evil, it's hard because we've been so close to it for so long. For... 22 years of my life, um, our family has put up at Christmas time colored lights and a pine tree. And I love that colored tree and that pine tree. My goodness, I think it is the most beautiful tree on the face of the planet is that, that colored lights and that, that, that pine tree that we'll go cut down. But then I got married. And I found out that there is apparently a more beautiful tree. It's a Fraser fir, and it's white lights. And all of a sudden, in one day, as we went to the Home Depot and we're buying lights, we recognized that we had a problem. And this is probably going to become part of marriage counseling for every other couple. Uh, what are your Christmas traditions? I can say it as a joke now because we've been married 11 years, and it's always a good little joke. But in one day, we came home, and all of a sudden, this tree that I have loved, now I've got to look at this tree that 
Man, I've, I've loved the color lights. I've loved the, the, the pine for so many years, and all of a sudden there's something different I'm supposed to love. It's not easy. It's hard. Difficult. For so many years, I've been so close to this thing, and I've enjoyed this thing. I've enjoyed it. For me, this is what it means for Christmas time. And all of a sudden, there's something different. Because I love my wife, I want to just go with her. And so, have this, and I know it's a, a dumb analogy, but at the same time, sometimes we've been so close with, we flirted with evil, that we don't know what it means to abhor it and hate it. Monday night at our deacons meeting, uh, we spent some time as deacons talking about the evil of pornography in our world. And over the next several weeks, at some point, we will have a discussion here from this pulpit regarding that evil in our world. But I I was struck with the reality in our household with a five-year-old son, a three-year-old daughter, and a one-year-old daughter, how Brittany and I are, we feel like there is war in our homes against every sort of evil influence against our kids. You feel that as parents at times, you are, you're waging war. You're making sure that everything is locked down. You don't want, you want the innocence of eyes and hearts and ears. That There's almost a, a frustration when there's a commercial that comes on. You think, why in the world? This is a kid's commercial. Why would that company do that? There's a frustration in me that say, my son doesn't need to see that right now. When music comes on in the car, there's a, there's a I mean, I'm quick to that mute button when something comes on that doesn't need to be there. And there's like a warfare in our home recognizing that we have innocence of ears all around. And there's a frustration when somebody would forsake that in our household. And even last night as I was preparing, my heart was just taken afresh for how often my warfare is on my kids. And when it comes to my ears and my heart and my eyes, that I may be ready to go for battle for my kids, but I drop the armor when it's up to me. And I want evil to be as far away from my kids, but for me, hey, I'm 34 years old, I'm a man, I can handle it, I'm okay with it, it doesn't affect me, it doesn't harm me, and I don't abhor it. I don't recognize what it does to my soul and to my heart. And at times we think, oh, it's just not that bad, it's not that bad of stuff, but friends, the Bible calls us to abhor evil, not to just enjoy it, not to laugh at it, not to discount it, but to abhor it, to run from it, to put it away, to not make it a bed buddy or somebody who's near to us. No, this is something that we abhor with everything in us because of what it does to us. And we may not think that it's doing much to us, but friends, If Paul didn't believe that it did much to us, he would just say, let it linger. But you see him say, flee sexual immorality. Abhor evil. You go down Proverbs 8.13 on your outline, says the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Let me be clear, we don't hate people. We don't hate evil people. Just make that crystal clear. We don't have a hatred of other people made in the image of God. Friends, we hate the evil that we experience in the world and there is a real evil and there is a real good that we cling to as believers. If you continue on just a little bit further, you see, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. In the back of your outline, you see, cling to what is good. Hold fast to what is good. See, as believers, our goal is not simply to be fighting evil all the time. There's always evil and always what we can't do. We're always bent on all the things that we cannot do and we're just fighting evil and we never get anything we never get to enjoy. The Bible says, no, hate what is evil, but also cling to what is good. 
If you go back to the Garden of Eden, what, what, a gar- what did Adam and Eve have? They had a wealth of everything they could have ever wanted, perfection of relationship. And God has given us over an abundance of everything good in this world. And so we as believers are not sitting here saying, man, God's just given us scraps. We've got nothing, right? There's all this stuff in the world, all this evil, and all we've got left is this little morsel. We've got nothing. God, we've got to go get some evil because there's nothing left here for us. Remind you, in the Garden of Eden, there was one place in which they were called not to go in the abundance of all that was there. And God would tell Adam and Eve, cling to the good, abhor the evil. And friends, God has given us a multitude of joy, of community, of so many good things that we could run after and enjoy and cling to and hope to and hold on to and hold fast to. So much joy of relationships, so much joy of the good things that he has given us, so much wealth of stuff out there to enjoy. And I've got to believe when Adam and Eve were given this evil, this thing that they were not supposed to do, when they're given this good, this stuff that is for their thriving, that God has an ultimate plan and a purpose. And if he calls it evil, you see what happened to Adam and Eve, all the ramifications of that moment, that there is consequence, that there is harm to be done to them. Friends, we stray and we run away from the evil, recognizing what it does to us. And we cling to those good things that give us hope and that give us peace and that give us joy and that fill us up. So a genuine love would lead you to abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. And maybe you would ask, what is, what is good? What are we supposed to cling to if you work your way back up in Romans chapter 12? Right at the beginning, he gives us a, a foundation to stand on. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So first and foremost, we present ourselves to the Lord as a holy sacrifice to him. But essentially, in other words, for what he's saying, do not be conformed to the world. Don't let your hearts and your minds conform to the world's offering for you but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. And so we say, well, we're gonna, we're gonna lay down our lives. We're gonna, we're gonna give our bodies as living sacrifices to you, Lord, and we're gonna test everything. We're not gonna conform to this world, but we're gonna transform our minds into your image through your word come to the end here, there's a familiar phrase that I wanted to give you, one that our beloved Pastor Emeritus would say often as he would close a sermon, and for some reason it just felt so fitting this morning. As we've talked about all these things, this is God's directions, and it's your selections. As you look at God's word, you see these are God's directions for you. And it's up to you to make that decision. Lord, am I going to follow these things? Am I going to select to follow the things that God has given me? And you can easily say, it's my selections. And we're praying that God would bless my selections and what I want to do. But no, we're saying, Lord, these are your directions. These are what you have called us to do. This is what you have called evil, what you have called good. And so will we follow? Will we obey the Lord's calling and wear the marks of what it means to be a believer in this world. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you.
Would you codify all that we have talked about, sung about, prayed about deeply into our souls? Lord, we we want to trust and we want to obey, we want to follow, we want to be closer into your image as we leave here. Lord, would you work in our hearts, Lord, an all-out abhorrence and hatred over evil. Lord, recognizing what it does to us and to our hearts. Lord, that it, that it damages our hearts, it damages our soul. It, Lord, it just, it, it damages relationship in us. And Lord, at times, it, we've cozied up a little bit too close to the evils in this world. So Lord, I pray that you would teach us not to conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds and by the testing we may know what is good and pleasing and perfect, Lord. We recognize that we need your help. So first and foremost, would you clean our hearts? Would you make our hearts afresh and anew? Take the, a heart of stone and would you mold it into your image? We can't quite move on until our hearts are right with you, Lord. So would you teach us? Would you shape us? Would you mold us into your image? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.